Hey, this is Kyle Eidelman from Southeast Christian Church, and I want to thank you for listening to the message today. As we open up the scriptures together, I pray that this message inspires you, challenges you, and is the right word at just the right time in your life. Enjoy the message. Hey, church family, this weekend we are continuing in our series on becoming, becoming the person God made us to be. And each week we've been talking about a fruit of the Spirit that gets produced in us when we keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, as we learn about the fruit of faithfulness today, I'm excited for you to hear from Trip Lee. Trip is a pastor, a teacher, he's a well-known hip-hop artist, and he is uh, one of the most requested guest speakers that we have at Southeast. I have been thankful for the way he shared with us in the past, glad he's back, and I'm especially glad he's preaching on faithfulness because I've seen this fruit in his life and ministry even when he has faced some pretty difficult and challenging circumstances. So um, his life as a follower of Jesus exemplifies what it looks like to faithfully serve. And he's gonna talk to you about how we can grow in faithfulness. I'm really glad he's here. Would you please welcome back Tripoli. Good morning. It's uh, good to get to be with you. That's very kind of him. And uh, I've really enjoyed the times I've got to be here and share God's word and uh, excited to get to preach this morning. So I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll jump right into God's word. Father, we come before you again in Jesus' name. Father, and we thank you so much for your word. Uh, Father, we're, we're grateful for your word because um, we could gather in a room like this and just talk about stuff and sing words, but none of it would mean anything if it wasn't the actual living and breathing word of the living God. Father, we come in this room in a variety of different places, some of us wrestling with different stuff, some of us distracted, but God, we pray you would grab our attention. You know what we need, and we pray you would speak to us, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this morning, I would like to talk about faith. I want to talk to you about faith, and it is uh, an interesting time in our culture to be a person of faith. Faith is um, not seen as cool by people. Faith is not uh, one of the characteristics that people most admire about people. If you ask kids, hey, what do you want to be like when you grow up? Not a lot of them are going to say, I would like to be a person of faith. That's not a thing that grabs people's minds right away. Matter of fact, the, um, the way that our culture thinks about faith is as if it is more strange, out of step with the way that we think about the world now. I, I want to read a few quotes about faith to help us see how people can sometimes think about it. It says, one of the greatest tragedies in mankind's entire history may be that morality was hijacked by religion. Or this one, religion is, because it claims a special divine exemption for its practices and beliefs, not just amoral, but immoral. Religion poisons everything. Or this last one, it says, every day people are straying away from the church and going back to God. You know, if you look at stats on faith in our country right now, um, 
the amount of people who think about faith as one of the most important parts of their lives is plummeting. People who go to church regularly is plummeting. There's a, a large rise in people who they call the religious nuns, people who have no particular faith that's important to them at all. This is an interesting moment in our culture for faith. Not everybody's angry at faith, though. Some, some people um, may think that, you know, they're not angry at people of faith, but they do think that faith is something that is outdated. You know, something that's like, you know, faith is for a time when we didn't really understand the world. We didn't know what was going on around us, but now we do. That's just strange. Or still other people who think of faith as it's a fine thing, but they would put it on a list of other nice things that you could have if you want to be a notable citizen. You show up to work on time, and you, um, you don't let your grass get too long. You mow it, your grass is looking nice. And you're a person of faith. But the way that uh, the writer of the Hebrews, and we're going to be looking at Hebrews 11, talks about faith is as if it's a lot more than that. Because the writer of Hebrews is going to tell these Christians that they need to live by faith, not just with faith, not with faith as one of the things on the list, but to live by faith, that every area of their life will be lived out by that faith. And someone may say, but why would he, do, why, why would he need to say that? If he's going to say, hey, don't stop uh, uh, gathering together around Jesus because that's what keeps your faith alive, or to encourage each other, that's what keeps your faith alive. Isn't faith just a crutch? Why would it be that important? And here's one of the things I want to drive home is that faith is not a crutch. It's more like a stretcher or a gurney. And here's why I would say that. You know, with crutches, you know, you still got one good leg, so you just need the crutches to kind of help you hop along. Whereas without faith, we are completely helpless, hopeless, no way to get to our destination. Faith is more like a stretcher or a gurney in that it carries us to the one who has everything that we need. It connects us to God himself. So with that in mind, we're going to look at three things that we learn about faith, why it's so important, why it's more of a stretcher than a crutch in uh, Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to look at it in three points. The first one is this, that faith gives you sight. Faith gives you sight. Y'all with me this morning? All right. Now, we all uh, understand the importance of sight, right? What we see is the way we navigate through the world. It gives us security, too, that we know what's going on around us. You know, there's a reason that kids are afraid of the dark, because they can't see what's around them. And they imagine that whatever strange creature that they saw in a Disney movie is lurking in those shadows. But when we can see, we can see what's going on. It's not just seeing physical things. I mean, just having a sense of what things are, seeing is important. You know, even um, there's a reason why if you want to buy a house and you're trying to get a loan, you can't just say, hey, um, no, I got, I got the money. I'm good for it. They say, well, no, sir, we need to see your tax returns. You can't be like, no, 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 I'm, I'm a man of my word. I'm good. <laughs> no, no, no. They need to see with their eyes. They need to see pay stubs. They need to see tax. They need to make sure that money is there. There's a reason why if a case is being argued in court, they need to see evidence of the crime that's been committed. Because when we see things, it lends more credibility. Now, you may say, Tripp, what does this have to do with faith? Listen to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. This is what God's word said. It says, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen, for by this our ancestors were approved. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not 
visible. Now, that sounds like a worldview that we're not really familiar with. And in some ways, sounds at odds with sight, that faith does. So you may say, Trip, I think you got your point wrong, saying that faith gives us sight, but, I, but I'll tell you what I mean. When he says, faith is a reality of what's hoped for, the proof of what's not seen, that is a definition uh, of faith. Though it's not a comprehensive one, it doesn't tell us everything we need to know about faith, but it gives us a good guide. It's kind of like if I said, um, you know, uh, Jessica is my wife. That would tell you something about her, just not everything. There are other great things about her, like that she has great taste in husbands. You know, there's <laughs> other important things about who she is, but it does give you a window into who she is. This definition of faith is a really guide, a good guide for how to understand it, because I think a lot of the ways that we think about faith in our culture are false. We, we often think of faith as kind of a hoping or a wishing. You know, something that just kind of makes you feel better about a circumstance. Like you may say, I haven't been going to work, but I have faith that I'm going to be able to pay my bills. I just feel it in my gut. That's not faith at all. What Scripture is going to talk about here with faith um, is much more than hope or wishing or even something that we just receive as tradition from our family. Um, the other way that, that, that our culture, you know, that, and they think about people of faith, they would think that's a strange way to see the world or to come to conclusions, and it's understandable because most of our culture's beliefs rest on this assumption that, you know, everything that we know is true, we know because we can see it or we can do an experiment on it, experiencing it with your senses. But the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us that not only is faith in God respectable, but it is a more sure way to move through the world. The writer of Hebrews is saying not only is faith respectable, but it's a more sober view of reality. And I just want you to know, I don't mean just any faith, because faith on its own is not a virtue. Have you ever thought about that? Faith is only as good as the object of the faith. So, for instance, I grew up in Dallas. I'm a Cowboys fan. Every season, I just feel it in my gut, and I'm like, this is our year. I have faith we're going to the Super Bowl this year. And yet, at the end of each season, we're eight and eight somehow. That faith was not grounded on good things. Faith is only as good as the object of it. And, and so Paul is not, I mean, uh, you know, like Paul says, if Jesus didn't really get up from the grave, I'm someone to be pitied. We're not talking about faith as something that just makes you feel nicer. The writer of Hebrews, if he's told them to live by faith, when he says... It's the reality of what's hoped for. If you've heard this verse before, you may have heard the assurance of things hoped for, this confidence. And he's saying that sometimes we, we, uh, there are things that we hope for that we can't see with our eyes. And what he's saying to us is that faith shows us what our eyeballs don't sometimes. That there are realities, very real, substantial things that we can't see with our eyes, but our faith shows it to us. It could be faith in future promises of God, this faith in invisible thing, an invisible God that you can't see with your eyes. One pastor summed it up well that faith gives substance that isn't reality yet. Faith gives substance to something that isn't reality yet. People of faith and, uh, are those who build their life on promises that haven't been fulfilled yet, that I know God is with me even when I can't see him, that I know I've been given a new heart even though I didn't have any surgery, that I know that I'm filled with the Spirit even though you can't measure it with some kind of medical device, that I know that God is the creator of all these things around us. And it's strange, though, that he would talk about faith as the proof 
of what's not seen. But again, faith shows us what we can't always see with our eyes, and we always build our lives like this. It's really a question of, uh, of what we live by faith in. Everything we do, we do based on what we believe, even if we can't see it with our eyes. And, and the reason is because we trust credible sources. You know, for example, I, um, I, I, I flew here to Louisville on an airplane, and I believed when I got on that airplane I was going to land here safely. Let me tell you, it's not because I checked out the plane for myself. I did not get under that plane. I wouldn't even know what I was looking for. I'd be like, yep, there's some metal. Yep. (laughs) But it's because I trust those pilots. I I trust those engineers to do that job. Well, I trust them. And when we have good reason to trust credible testimony, then we, we build our life on that, even if we haven't seen it for ourselves. And this passage is a testimony to the credibility of God. One, that he goes through this list of all these heroes of the faith and how God was faithful to them in difficult seasons. I mean, uh, you, you should read Hebrews 11, the whole chapter, if you get a chance. But he brings up Abel, and he brings up Enoch, and he brings up Noah, and he brings up Abraham, and Jacob, and Isaac, and he brings up Gideon, and on and on and on. And there is this faithful God who has been faithful to them over and over and over and over again testimony from credible witnesses. But not only that, another way he gives us this credibility right away in verse 3, he says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. Right away, he undercuts any worldview that dismisses things that can't be seen. Because he says, the things we can see were created by unseen right? Um, So that seeing is not always the best indication of what's real. And part of the way we know that is that our eyes can deceive us sometimes, right? Even, you know, if if you're at your house and you you think you see someone lurking in the shadows, but it was nothing at all. Or you're talking to someone and you see them make a face, and then you go through the whole day thinking that they hate you. And it's like, I finally did it. I pushed them away. And then at the end of the day, they're like, nah, my stomach just hurt when we was talking. And then the conversation was over. Our eyes can deceive us, and we trust ourselves too much sometimes as the absolute final judge of everything that's true based on what we can perceive and see with our eyes and ears. And so there's sometimes when we can think maybe the Word of God isn't worth building our entire life on because it's invisible, and the writer of Hebrews is saying just because you cannot see it does not mean it's real, and it doesn't mean that it's not powerful. I dare you to show you something visible that is stronger than the invisible Word of God. That God spoke and created everything. That God holds the universe together by the word of his power. All the visible things that seemed so strong came from the power of the words of an invisible God. So I don't want you to allow anybody to make you feel foolish for building your life on the word of God. I don't want you to let anybody make you feel foolish about depending on this word of God. And I don't want that to to impact your own confidence that that it can uphold you just because you cannot See it with your eyes. It's the Word of God. And the thing is, the alternative is not that we don't live by faith. The question is, will we put our faith on things that can actually hold up what we put on? Some of us are building our lives instead and living our lives by faith in the security of our jobs. Building our faith uh, instead on the security of our closest relationships on our skills and gifts, 
And what I wanna say to you is um, your financial statements are not sturdy enough to hold the weight of a human being made in the image of God. And when we build our lives by living by faith of the promises that those things give us, it would be like putting a, uh, a little Lego chair that my son made with Lego blocks and then sitting on it. It would not hold my weight. And it would be on me for assuming that something so flimsy could hold the weight of a human being. I want you to know we cannot live by faith in things that cannot hold up the weight of a human being made in the image of God. But God, on the other hand, is faithful and he's good and he's strong when you were created to build your life on faith in his promises. But it is hard, though. Because there is so much that we do see with our eyes. Even when it comes to believing in God's future promises, sometimes we think, but I don't know how to do that because everything I see looks hopeless. How am I to believe that God is actually at work? And sometimes we think, man, if I just could have been in Bible times and I could have seen Jesus with my eyes, I want to remind you there were people who looked Jesus in his eyes and told him he's not who he said he was. There were people who were present and they saw Jesus and the disciples show up with five loaves of bread, and then they saw thousands of people get fed and still didn't believe that Jesus is who he said he was. I need you to understand that the key to you building your life probably is not just you seeing everything with your own eyes. There's still a heart that has to see that Jesus is who he said he is. Romans 10 says that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so one of my encouragements is to build your life in a way where you are um, exposing yourself constantly to what God has to say, to God's word. That's what awakens and, and strengthens that faith in our hearts, reading God's word for ourselves, being with other people who encourage us with God's word. The number of times that I've been talking to someone and said something dumb, and my friend was like, well, actually, God's word says this. I mean, the, the number of bad decisions and bad perspectives the Lord has saved me from that way. Before I go to the next point, I just want to give three, three disclaimers about this faith. First one is, I don't think this text is calling for a completely blind faith, a faith that just says, oh, cool, that sounds true, that has no questions, that has no curiosity. I think he's not saying, uh, uh, you know, live by faith even though you haven't thought about anything. I think instead he's saying, I want you to trust what you have seen. I want you to trust how God has shown himself to be trustworthy. For me, part of what that is, is that Jesus got up from the grave. So even when I'm um, wrestling through things, I'm like, but if Jesus got up and showed himself to 500 people that saw him face to face, and then the guys who were following him, who saw him die, then went on to uh, dedicate their whole lives to telling people about this Jesus to the point where they were even murdered for it, each of them, well, that to me seems pretty credible that he got up from the grave. He's not saying don't think about anything. He's saying build your life on the credibility and trustworthiness of God that you have seen. Second disclaimer, I'm not saying throw out science and throw out all ways to see and observe. I'm just saying that all truth is not verified by the scientific method. That's, there's not only one way to know things. There, um, there's no experiment to do that shows us what love and courage looks like in a human heart. And the third thing that I want to say here quickly is that um, this doesn't mean that we will never wrestle with doubt. That's kind of faith we're talking about. I do not want people to come among God's people and think, man, I am the only one who ever doubts anything that God has said, whoever wrestles with how to 
understand particular things in Scripture. I don't want you to think that just because you wrestle with doubts, it doesn't mean saving faith cannot also exist in your heart. And also, I want God's people to be a safe place for people to wrestle with their doubts. I don't want anyone who's unsure of anything to feel like I can't be amongst those people. They would never receive me because I have questions. Instead, I want to be a safe place that encourages people to do what, what uh, the man in the Gospels did when he saw Jesus, where he said, Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. When I wrestle with unbelief, when I wrestle with my doubts, I want to take that to Jesus and say, Jesus, help me to see you more clearly. Faith gives us sight. Y'all still with me? Number two, faith makes you righteous. Faith makes you righteous. Now, if you were to ask random people on the street, hey, do you want to be righteous? They would probably say, uh, uh, probably not. It probably sounds strange to them. You know, part of it is, you know, we have twisted views of morality and goodness in our in our culture, or maybe what they think of as like just weird people, or people who are disconnected from culture, or prudish, or strange, or uh, hypocritical. Scripture thinks about righteousness a little differently. This is in uh, verse 2. He's just talked about faith, and he says, for by this our ancestors were approved. By this, meaning faith, our ancestors were approved, and that's not usually how approval works. It's not usually by faith. Usually, approval works by showing who you are and the the things that you've done. If if you want to, I don't know, get into a school, you'd be like, hey, will you approve me to be a student at this school? Look at all these amazing things. Look at these grades. Look at these accomplishments. Look at these things I did just for the sake of this conversation. Look at all of that and let me in. But what he's saying is God was pleased with them based on their faith. Of verse 5, talking about Enoch, it says, By faith Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. But before, before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Again, Enoch is the only man in Scripture who didn't die, who was just floated away into heaven as a reward for his faithfulness to God. And still, what the writer of Hebrews says is, no, 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 what actually brought God pleasure about him was his faith. That's why he was approved. You think about Abraham in verse 17. It says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. And the thing it also tells us that we don't see in Genesis is that um, it says that Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. And this is Isaac who, I mean, this is Abraham who, you know, God came to him and said, hey, you're going to have these descendants, you're going to have a son, and Abraham and his wife are like, are you sure? We're uh, like, I don't know if you noticed, Lord, we're quite old. God was like, nope, yes. And so he has a son, and then God says to sacrifice him. Abraham trusted God so much, the Hebrews tells us, he assumed he was just going to raise his son from the dead. He was like, surely God is not going back on his promises to give me descendants, so it must be that he's going to raise him from the dead. It's that faith that was countered to him as righteousness. And the reason I'm making these points with how he's talking about it is we always assume that the way to be approved before God as righteous is to do a bunch of good works to show him how good we are. What Scripture tells us is you could never be good enough to meet that righteous standard. God is not interested in you performing for him over and over again, that we are sinners. 
And that's not how we become righteous. Instead, that righteousness comes from God by faith. Now, of course, that does not mean that our good works have nothing to do with our faith. Good works are a symptom of the faith that's inside of us. It's like getting a virus. It's like when COVID really showed up and you were around and somebody coughed anywhere, you were like, bro, you better go cough over there. <laughs> now, of course, coughing doesn't, didn't give anybody COVID, but it's the, uh, the, the person is coughing because it's already in them. In the same way, when that faith is in our soul, it's not that the good works connect us with God. It's that because we're connected to God through faith, those good works show up. It's a symptom of that trusting that God is who he said he is and will do what he said he will do. We're righteous by faith. Paul talks about this in Philippians 3, where he says, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. And he talks about being found in him. Paul is always talking about being found in God, in Christ. He's saying, if we want all the spiritual blessings that are found in Christ, he's saying, if you want to know where you need to be to be blessed, it's not in this building, it's not in your house, it's in Jesus. That's where the forgiveness is, is in Jesus. That's where the deliverance is, is in Jesus. That's where the salvation is, is in Jesus. That's where the real joy is, is in Jesus. That's where the righteousness is, is in Jesus. We do not want to face this holy God outside of Jesus, but if we stand before him in Christ, we are seen as righteous. So Paul says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. He's not giving us two options for getting right with God. He's saying if you're going to be seen as righteous, it has to be given to you. It reminds me of this uh, time uh, many, many years ago, I was at a show or I was uh, headed to an event. I needed a rental car. Went up to the rental car place and I gave the lady my card and she swiped it and then she furrowed her brow and she leaned forward and said, sir, your car got declined. And I was like, nah, do that again. <laughs> she did it again. And she kept swiping and I started to get defensive at this point, even though she didn't do anything. I'm like, ma'am, I work hard to provide for me and my family, right? <laughs> Just unnecessary. And my friend is like, bro, I don't know what's going on, but it's fine. Just use my car. And I was like, bro, you go stand over there, okay? I work hard. And here's what's happening. Is like, I can get her to keep swiping over and over again, but for whatever reason, the money that was supposed to be in my account isn't there. If I am to get this car, I'm going to need somebody else to give me money I don't have on my own. And here's what it's like with receiving righteousness from God. Our righteousness account is absolutely empty. There is a moral bankruptcy that we cannot get over on our own. And yet, there is the Lord Jesus who lived the absolutely perfect life. And what scripture says, if we put our faith in this Jesus, then his perfect righteousness account is applied to ours. That's how righteousness happens. And it's his faith that makes us righteous. And not only in terms of how we're seen before God, but it also shows up in our lives. Because if you look at all these uh, people they, they mention, right? He says, uh, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, built an ark to save his family. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place 
Um, and he goes on and on and on. And I'll say this. If your faith only exists in your mind and never shows up in your hands and your feet, you should ask if that faith has really taken root. Scripture is really clear that faith without works is dead. And we see this faith not only has us be seen as righteous before God, but also shows up in our lives looking more and more like him. Y'all following me? Faith makes us righteous. In verse 6, he says this, Now without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. He says without faith, it's impossible to please God. It is um, a waste of our time to try to just do a bunch of good stuff that would make God like us. And, And I wonder if you've ever thought about the fact that you can do good things from the wrong heart and not please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And he says, the one who draws near must believe he exists and rewards those who seek him. It's trusting that God is who he said he is and will do what he said he would do. Faith gives us sight. Faith makes us righteous. And number three, faith gives you a future. Faith gives you a future. I wonder if you have ever seen something go completely different than you thought it would. Maybe on paper, it looked really good, and then it just didn't work out that way. And maybe it looked really bad, and it went even better than you expected. This is the thing about being human beings who don't know all things. There are a lot of times situations look very differently to us than they will actually show up. Even when we make great plans, um, you know, even when at the beginning of the season, it seems like the Cowboys are going to do great. You know, it goes a little different. Scriptures are really clear that we will have trials in this life. There's no way for us to avoid them. And things will go differently than we expect. And here's what can happen. Um, We can get in a mode where we believe God's promises, that he won't leave us or forsake us, that he will provide for us, that he will give us all of our needs. But then we can get very squirmy and panicky when we don't see those promises fulfilled right away. And that's understandable. Because when we feel like somebody's not keeping their promises, they lose credibility with us. We stop trusting them. But I want you to listen to how the writer of Hebrews talks about all these heroes of the faith in this passage. Verse 13. He says, these all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now, you could understand if some of these people, these men and women in this passage, had gotten bitter at God. Can you, I mean, Moses. Moses could say, God, after all that I did and came after you, right? After I dealt with these horrible people in the desert, these stiff-necked people, after I did thing after thing that you called me to do, how is it... As we march toward this promised land, then I don't even get to see it with my own eyes. You can understand if Moses had been bitter. And if you want to read through Hebrews 11, you see so many promises that God had given that not everyone got to see completely fulfilled with their own eyes. But what it says is that they knew that those promises were coming. They still trusted God. Here's the question. Does your trust in God get eroded when he doesn't keep his promises on your timetable? Do we turn into judges overlooking God and saying, God, I know you said you were faithful. However, you made the wrong decision in terms of the time. What we see from them 
is that they said, I so fully trust this God that even though I didn't receive these promises on my timetable, I, I trust him anyway. My, my, my kids can be like this sometimes. If I say, hey, we're going to do something fun after lunch, the minute that the last morsel of food enters the mouth, if the fun hasn't already started, they feel deeply betrayed. They start to panic. And they're like, well, where's the fun? And they look me in my eyes and they say, Father, you have betrayed me. And everything that they know about me as a promise-keeping father gets thrown out the window. All the fun times are all thrown out the window, and they're like, you, sir, are not a promise-keeping father. You are a fraud. <laughs> and it's as if they've forgotten my entire track record, and yet this is how we treat God. As soon as, as, soon as he doesn't keep promises on our timetable, we doubt everything that we know about him. We doubt his power. We doubt his faithfulness. We think, God, you said you're a provider. Why aren't you providing immediately? You said, God, you'll, you'll take care of my needs. I have needs that don't feel taken care of right now. As if he hasn't shown his faithfulness and trustworthiness yet. But here's what it says that these heroes of the faith did. It says they waited for him and they greeted them from afar. And not only that, it says um, they confessed they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Part of their ability to stay faithful in the midst of all these trials, and if you read through this, they went through difficult things. Part of the way they were able to stay faithful in the midst of it is they understood this is not their final home. They understood this is not my only chance in this current moment to receive the things that God has promised me. Scripture over and over again will, try to, uh, will motivate us to be faithful and obedient to God based on future promises. Don't store up treasures for yourself on earth, what thieves can steal. Store up treasures for yourself in heaven. Even the verse uh, right after these verses in Hebrews 12, he's going to say, Jesus looked to the joy set before him and it helped him to endure right now. You live your life differently, and you have different expectations when you realize that this earth is not your final home. For example, I, I am here, you know, staying at a hotel here, and I, but because I know this is not my home, I'm not walking through the hallways in my bathrobe. That would be strange. It's not my house. When I'm in another country, I don't get confused when people speak in another language. I don't get confused when people have different cultural customs. It doesn't offend me. I understand I'm not at home. I don't judge them for, for the food that's different. Except for British people, they eat tomatoes and beans for breakfast. That's very strange. I'm judging them. But other than that, I don't get confused by that because I'm not at home. All of the comforts of home are not here. If I want things like that, I'm gonna go back to my house for it. And if we understand this earth is not our home, we won't be confused when all of the comforts that we're expecting don't show up. So much of the suffering from difficult seasons comes from us forgetting that this is not our final home. And that no matter how difficult this is now, Jesus wins in the end, and he takes us with them. Like the scripture will say, hey, the stuff you're dealing with now, momentary trials that cannot even compare to the eternal weight of glory that's waiting on you. Longing for that weight of glory will help you to be a more faithful follower of Jesus right now. 
It will help you to love your neighbor better because you understand, I don't have to be greedy. This isn't my final home. It'll help you risk your comfort because you understand, I don't have to fight for my comfort tooth and nail. This is not my final home. I don't have to step over people rudely for a promotion. This is not my final home. Longing for that final home helps you to be more faithful in this temporary. Faith gives us that hopeful future. And, and we see that example here with them. The, the good news of, of this faith is this, that all these things we can't do for ourselves, see, see all of reality because we can't really trust our senses more than anything, be righteous enough on our own because, because we're sinners, to have this perfect future because we're not in control of all things, all of those things are things that God freely offers us. This is why I'm saying faith is not a crutch. Faith is more of a stretcher where we're carried to the one who has everything that we need. And God is so gracious that he calls us to himself and says, look, you don't have to do all the work yourself. I already did it. Just trust me. And I promise if you trust him, he will show himself over and over again to be exactly the gracious, faithful God that he says he is. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Father, we come before you in the name of your son, Jesus. God, and we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your son. God, we pray you would use your word to help us to see you more clearly. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room, God, that you would help their faith to grow deeper, more rooted, that you would give us endurance and trust in you. Pray for my friends who don't really know where they are with you. Father, you'd help them to see clearly how incredibly gracious Jesus is and how he connects us to you. We ask all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If today's message made you realize you need to take your next step with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us on any of our social media platforms throughout the week or visit our website at southeastchristian.org. And if you want to hear more content like this, you can check out our sermons podcast or our one at a time podcast. Both can be found everywhere. Podcasts are available. Have a great week.